How about you? What does that, does that seem oh, similar? It stirs answer? up so much because phase two just look in hindsight just feels like a giant failure of every of like doing everything average or below average. <laughs> Welcome to Bootstrapping SaaS to Millions. I'm Mike, this is Kev, and we share stories and lessons learned from taking our startup from zero to eight-figure business, no outside funding. All right, man, we've had an eventful couple weeks. Three weeks have been a blur since coming back from the conference that we went to. Um, lots of changes, people people coming, people going, um, business hitting milestones. So yeah, we can give an, we can give an update yeah. kind of on where yeah. Spectora is at anyone that's interested yeah i'd love to start doing these business updates and just give everybody listening insight into where we're at what we're thinking about what is our focus um, so yeah we hit officially five thousand customers five thousand home inspectors use our software how do you feel about that uh this was in the distant horizon um you even as little as a year and a half ago i feel like where we were like hey someday um, you always like to tell a story of like, at first we were like, Hey, if we get a couple, we get 200 users, this could be a nice little niche SaaS business where we could have a decent lifestyle, make six figures. Yeah. That was like our first goal. Um, we cleared that in year one and we're like, <laughs> let's, let's get a thousand users. That would be amazing. Cleared that in year two. And so then we had to keep setting our sights higher. So it's been a wild ride. 5,000 big milestone. Now we're saying, hey, 10,000, that's when we feel like we've kind of dominated our space. Right. So 10,000. So for a niche industry where the total you know, market is 20 to 30,000 estimated, um, we feel like 10,000 is definite domination and the big share of uh, like tech savvy forward looking users. So the team is what, 21 now? 20. We had a few subtractions recently, um, which we can talk about and update on. But um, yeah, team of 21, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we let's let's dive into those. So we came back from the conference. And if you listen to last episode, you can hear all about it. Um, just very fired up on what the future vision, what changes we need to make to basically achieve the next level for our company. And so we did some work on both sides. We restructured comp for a couple key employees. And then we also let go of a couple people. And both, like all of them were hard decisions. I feel like we've had nothing but hard conversations for the last few weeks. Um, you know, not necessarily bad or good, but just like hard, emotionally taxing and, um, and kind of fun where it feels like we're making big moves, right? Yeah, it's the, it feels like the, the right time to mature as a company to realize what you want to put up with, what you want to deal with, the kind of people you want on the bus. Um, and so it was kind of a slap in the face for us because I think some of these were uh, maybe a little delayed or, or the writing was on the wall for certain people not performing or certain things being tolerated. And uh, it's just the right time for it. Certain things being tolerated. So like, I, I feel like we feel right now, tell me if I'm speaking out of turn for you. It's like super empowered and like very focused on that future vision of what kind of company we're building, what kind of company culture we're, we're creating. And, um, and knowing that culture is the way we get there. Yeah, let's rewind. So I think early on, we took an attempt at kind of our vision and mission early on multiple times. And I think we failed because we were just like, ah, this feels dumb. Like, let's just go make, get more customers. Let's yeah. just do the work, <laughs> which is probably right for that time. In hindsight, most of the time, I kind of get 
how this gives us clarity now and uh, the clarity we're gaining. We're, not, we're obviously not even close to being there, but the fact that putting more work into what we want, what we want for ourselves and the business makes decisions, I think, easier. It makes it easier to start approaching hard conversations. And like, that's the what I feel like we've been going through these past few weeks is getting more clear on what the hell we're even doing here and where our business is going. Whereas yeah. before it was just run, 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 get customers, grow. Get customers, grow. And we would tolerate a lot of things because we were growing. We've been fortunate enough to always be growing. And so we tolerate certain behaviors, certain lacks of professionalism, whatever it is. And um, I think recently we've kind of changed our view that, because we're nice guys, right? We, we also give people benefit of the doubt. We give them excuses for lack of a better word. And, and, and we rationalize like, oh, they're this way because of X, because of Y. And it's cool because they've been with us since the beginning or whatever it is. I think recently we've very much put into clarity the future vision what it takes to get there. And then when we talk about culture, it doesn't feel stupid anymore. Like for a while talking about culture when it was like you, me and a couple other people in the office felt stupid, right? Right. It's like our culture, I don't know, we just come in and we work and just do we stuff, grow and we just have knockout to-do lists. And now we are like, oh, the stuff that we reward, the stuff that we do not tolerate, define for so many people that are just coming into the company, like define what our culture is and how people should be. It, yeah. And it, it's like mentally taxing stuff in a way. I think, I, I think we kind of envisioned was there, but we didn't, hadn't gone through it before. And people, it's shocking that people can hide in a company of 50. It started to be around, I think 15 to 20 where you could feel people like quote hiding. That was our term for just like, Oh yeah, you say you're going to do stuff. You don't really do it. You kind of have lost days, you know, in Slack, you don't really see a lot of activity. Um, and there's a real danger of that happening, I think, at 10 plus in a remote yeah. company. And I would say because of our failures, yeah. I would say that you and I probably got complacent and said, hey, it's all good. Like we're growing. We'll look past certain things. And as soon as you do that, it becomes the norm. It becomes <laughs> OK. And so then other people can do it. And us kind of I don't, and I don't think that was the case for everybody. There's a lot mm -hmm. of people we, we try and hire really high achievers that are intrinsically motivated. And they're not going to be swayed by like, oh, somebody's kind of getting by with a pass. But every, it's all it's all a very human endeavor and people get swayed subconsciously sometimes, I think. So we had to make some big moves and say, we're going to reward certain things. We're going to not tolerate certain things recently. Some rewards for some people that are going to change their entire lives, their whole financial trajectory, retirement, really exciting stuff for the people that are here that want to work hard, that are passionate. And then on the other side, folks who just have, it's better off for a change for them to go elsewhere. I want to ask you about early hires because depending on where you're at in your entrepreneurial journey, early on, it's like, we just need someone to do X and that's all you're thinking. And like, in hindsight, that's like the worst place to operate from. Cause then you just, you're, you don't have a clear vision for what you want yet because you just mm -hmm. need a task done. And is that inevitable in your mind? Do you feel like we could help prevent someone from just saying like, guys, I just need someone on customer support guys. I just need someone to write articles. Like, I don't care who you are. Gosh, there's so many different phases to our business. <laughs> and eventually we'll, we'll segue into a topic for the day, which is like how our roles as founders have shifted during the phase of our business. And I feel like in the early phase, yeah, you just are filling role. You, you just have more tasks than you have hours. 
So you bring on somebody to just say, hey, help me with this task. And if they're doing it, that's a win. I think once you get to a certain size, you have to reevaluate, are we doing the right things? We have the right people doing the right things. And what's the culture that we're building? So I don't, I, I still think don't address all these things prematurely. There's a survival phase and you just got to get to that point where you're surviving. You can take a breath and you can evaluate big picture and long-term. So depending on, you know, if you're listening to this and you're just like, Hey, I'm trying to get my first few dozen customers. Like maybe this is a little bit down the road, Yep. but, um, all right. So, yeah, so we made some fires yep. We told some folks, Hey, like you're not doing everything poorly. There's many things you're doing well, but there's been some, I guess, discrepancies between our culture and where we're headed and kind of how you show up every day. None of it, I hope was a surprise. It's been stuff that we've been, like you said, talking about for months, but um, yeah, just realizing the interpersonal impacts, how folks have kind of um, just, yeah, affected other people in the business. I think that that's a huge thing, right? One was an early employee and it beg it kind of raises the topic of, or the, the, the framework of the people that got you to where you're at, aren't the ones to take you to the next step or whatever it is of there's people that thrive in kind of chaos and Hey, just run and run and tackle, go do the task. And then as a company matures, the organization, the processes, the structure, professionalism, all these things that are needed as the bar raises, can leave some people behind or can't people don't adapt right. i think adaptability is something uh, i heard like i was listening to a podcast this morning that talked about yeah. characteristics and adaptability is huge gosh we've had to change and evolve who we are as founders and i think anybody in the company has also had to do the same we've gone through a lot of metamorphoses and it gosh it's very different at each phase and you're right professionalism has continuously upped i think initially we appealed to like a certain type of demographic of customer, kind of maybe a little rough around the edges mm -hmm. and like less um, kind of enterprising. And now we're appealing to the biggest players in our space. Enterprise for our for our group industry, yeah. yeah. They have totally different expectations. And so, yeah, that's something that's had to change. And you're right, the processes. So it's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's about recognizing what's the current context of our business and do we have the right players in the game? Yeah energy people, doers versus kind of organizers, uh, people that create game plans. So it's it's fun to think about human systems. I guess you said it last week or the week before of who's good at what, what phase are we at and what, what types of skills do we need, which feels like not work sometimes instead of like write the article, write the code, fix the bug, right. make a sales call. <laughs> I Yeah, I never really understood when people are just managers it just you know what, what do you do all day now i'm getting it you're crafting human systems you're crafting methods and forms of communication you're paying attention to emotions like so much of our job now i feel like is superhuman like very much on the human side of things as opposed to the technical which is where we started when we were founders so all right we'll get into that in a second i want to also talk about what i think might be controversial when um we changed the comp structure of a couple of key employees that are heads of departments mm -hmm. and said, Hey, instead of just a salary that we evaluate and give you raises on, we're going to reduce your base and give you a variable comp, like some set percentage of our net profits every single month. That's most founders wouldn't necessarily think of doing that. I, I believe, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I haven't heard much of this. Yeah, I haven't right. heard, especially the whole company net profits. A lot of people carve out 10% for a pool. Right, yeah. Which caps it. 
in, yeah. in a sense. So what, talk about a little bit like of how we reasoned through <laughs> this and how we arrived at, this is a good idea. We started to, hear, well, I guess you can correct me. I think we started to hear it at the conference we were at that um, some people were creating incentive structures that were more creative with unlimited upside to be kind of that entrepreneurial feeling for their key employees. And then we read a little bit about ConvertKit's way of doing it, um, how they have a, a, a very generous profit sharing plan and they document it pretty, pretty, pretty much out there with everything in the open. Um, and so we started tossing around the differences between straight equity, uh, profit sharing, just anything that can accelerate as profits grow. And you created a spreadsheet, a simple spreadsheet too. I think you just, you were winging it and you said, Hey, I'm going to put some values in here and just see what this spits out. And, um, just seeing those numbers made it so much real from our own accounting perspective of what we could handle, but then sharing that with the key employees. Right. I think they saw those numbers and that upside. And, uh, I think they were like, holy shit, this is very generous. <laughs> I feel like there's no greater motivator in the world for me personally than the limited upside. Yeah. And obviously as entrepreneurs, we have a higher risk tolerance. You know, we worked for free for two years before we ever had like profit revenue. Right. Um, for most people, they don't have that kind of risk tolerance, but does that mean they shouldn't have unlimited upside? So what we tried to do was craft a base salary that felt like, hey, if, if we started losing all money, if we start zero, you know, went to zero profits, you wouldn't be destitute. You'd have enough, to, but you'd have enough downside to feel pain so that every time you see it cancel, you're like, Ooh, this makes me uncomfortable because this is hitting me directly in the paycheck. Right. Um, but then looking at the upside of like, Hey, if we five X from here, you'll be a millionaire in a few years. That's powerful. Huge. Because yeah, like you and I, Millionaires, we're, we're going to be fine, like where we've already gotten to, right. unless catastrophe happens, I think we'll have very comfortable lives. Right. I want our employees to feel that possibility that and have that opportunity. That to me is like what's going to make them show up every day in a certain way, bring themselves fully into this whole thing. And um, gosh, and it just feels good. I, I think it just feels awesome when you can say, I'm going to put an extra work because I'll directly benefit from the results, not because of some subjective, like, am I getting seen for, right. for doing these things, but like pure numbers. The numbers matter. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, and we've seen the results already um, for folks that were kind of showing it before we offered this mm -hmm. and that's why they get it. Um, that's why they're getting this type of incentive plan, but it's like night and day. Like I feel like another gear got kicked in to these particular folks who, um, who every month, they care about the numbers and they care about the people working. They care about the people behind it. So it, we're thinking about, I mean, we're thinking about rolling it out in a limited way to everybody. We'll see. Um, we'll, we'll check the numbers and see, but I yeah. think to think of your early employees um, get really getting in their head of what incentivizes them. It's not the inflation raise or the, you know, the bonus you think is huge because it's huge to use a founder, right? It's, you have to think in their shoes of someone that's really given their life to your company. And in the future, should they have outsized returns? Yeah. We can't keep it all for ourselves because then that's not motivating to anybody else. Right. Then we're no better than the, the companies people bitch about of like the founders and owners getting everything. Right. And I just don't think we can attain <clears throat> what we want to attain if you and I are the only ones with unlimited upside. Like right. this is also a selfish move on our part. It's like creating buy-in, creating engagement, creating um, alignment. 
Yeah. And so it's, you know, I don't want to paint us as being these like selfless dudes or like, hey, this it's an experiment in business structures to maximize the overall um, trajectory of the business. Yeah. And like just with some of the businesses we partner with that give us rev shares or affiliate revenue, like we work better with them. Incentives. The ones that don't, it's, you know, there's less incentive. That's just how humans work. And I think anybody that is, you know, not accepting that is kind of deluding themselves. If they're like, oh, well, I just pay them salary. They, they should work hard just because. We'll see. We're experimenting here. This is unknown territory for us. And we'll keep updating uh, on this go. podcast as we go. Um, but I just found this a very fascinating couple weeks because of these things. <laughs> yeah. And, and it leads to discussions of kind of vision planning with your key employees for their lives you dig into you get messy with stuff of like yeah. what do, what are your future goals like what do you want to do uh, financially and you start talking about it. it's really refreshing i think to to dig into that and push them to oh. tell you these things because that's not a typical employee employer relationship right. where they're just like hey how many houses do you want to have hey when do you want to retire how much money do you want to have in the bank yeah. when do you want to be a millionaire by like that's fun yeah. um and in a growing company there's opportunities i think to craft that yeah i also think you by yourself in internal influencers within your company, because you and I, every founder I think is like, oh, I wish I could just clone myself. Can't do that. But I think when incentives are aligned and high functioning, smart, energetic people have unlimited upside like you and I, they're gonna influence others. And so I think like that's leadership team, right? That's kind of how it works. Yeah. And our theory around tying it to profit <clears throat> and not just revenue or number of new accounts or whatever, is they will now hopefully keep in mind expenses a little bit more. <laughs> I feel like in the past, everybody's like, oh yeah, we, I need more people. I need more tools. I need to uh, upgrade Up this software. And it's very easy to say when it does not impact your income. Oh yeah. But when a little slice of it comes out of your paycheck, you think about it just slightly more, I believe. And um, having other people that are cost conscious makes us not always have to be the bad guys that are like, hey, that's a bit pricey. Now they're the ones <sighs> starting to think about, hey, is this a good idea to spend on this? This just makes so much sense. The more we talk about it, we, you know, you had a dozen conversations so far, but that ownership mentality throughout an organization, throughout a leadership team, and even down to everybody yeah. at a certain degree, or, you know, to a certain degree, that way of thinking, that's just like powerful culture stuff. Yeah. I'd be curious. We'll see if we end up doing this for more employees, all employees, or if it becomes a, a limited experiment. And I think time will tell. Have you read anything or has, any, have your, has your internal you know, devil on the shoulder said like, what are reasons not to do this? I think anytime a founder, you know, it's probably like any founder, it's like considering taking funding. Anytime you're giving away a slice of the big pie down the road, you're thinking every founder should be thinking, I'm, I might be a billion dollar company someday. So that's like a lot of money <laughs> and it could be. It could be. What if we are paying somebody millions a year because of this structure? Mm -hmm. I think that'd be kind of awesome, first of all, because mm -hmm. if they're making millions, that means that we're making tens of millions right. or hundreds of millions. Life's great. Yeah. yeah. And so, but yeah, I think that's always a thing of like, ooh, are they going to be disproportionately awarded? If, if your mind thinks like that, that's a good thing to figure out is if you think it's disproportionate and why yeah because you were the guy that started and they came in a few years later i can see the argument but um again i believe this is buying uh, alignment and enhancing the overall trajectory you're gonna have a bigger pie at the end because of it 
Yeah, no, I agree about like, you know, valuation and the, and of like when thinking of an exit, I was starting to think about that stuff. Then I was like, you know what, like the decision to make certain people, those engines, like the work is all up front and like making absolute certain that those are the types of people that get you to that exit. And at that point, it doesn't matter. Like the numbers are what they are. And it's like, were they instrumental in getting you to the point where someone would want to acquire us? Right. What does it matter then at that yeah. point? And somebody also mentioned to us that like the, because we also give out um, equity mm -hmm. in the company for people usually around their one year mark. Um, and so equity, it can be motivating if there's this very clear timeline to exit. We don't necessarily have a clear timeline to exit. We're growing. We may never exit. We might exit soon. We have no idea. It all depends on how a lot of market factors play out. And so how motivating is it when somebody's like, ooh, I get X percent of this eventual sale that could be who knows how long and who knows how much. The monthly profit share is very short term. It's very real. That can make an impact on people's lives right now. And so now we're kind of skewing more towards, ooh, how much does future equity matter versus this kind of setup? It's probably a combination of both. Right. Short term, long term levers. I think all of them should be considered. Yeah. It's because most people listening are probably bootstrapped. If you're VC backed, there is a very clear timeline. It's like seven to 10 years and you get your payday. So that's, that, there's, it's more defined. The playbook is more defined. Bootstrapped, you're right. It's like, could be never. Yeah. A lot of great businesses kill it and never have sold anybody. So wonder if certain people, yeah, I wonder if there'll be some uh, topic of converting equity into profit sharing. We can see. Yeah. Grand experiment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> let's, let's kind of pivot to, what I alluded to earlier of like, how have our roles changed? Like we said, most of these last few weeks has been very emotionally, emotionally centered, very human relationship centered. And so I just wanna talk about the early days, the different chapters and how we felt over the years. So we're, we're what, four years-ish since launch, five years since starting, half. yeah. And so let's just talk about the different phases and what like took up our time, what was the focus of our attention at the different phases? And just, you know, for, for founders that are early on, maybe give you a preview of what's ahead. Um, for those of you that have different journeys, we'd love to hear about them and tell us how yours is different. Um, but yeah, let's yeah. just talk about it. Can you step through, so for the technical co-founders listening, I'd love for you to step through your phases, because mm -hmm. I think you mentioned uh, before three different buckets and kind of the timelines maybe associated with them with where your mind was and what you were doing. Sure. Pre-launch and the first year, year and a half after launch, I was extremely on the uh, design and coding side. That's basically all I did, right? It felt like 80 to 90% was a mix of designing the software, coding the software, coding the back end, coding the front end, creating the, you know, how we deploy, how we um, store data, all of these things, right? So full stack design engineer, that was intense. It was extremely um, detail oriented, right? You're, I'm looking at pixels. I'm looking at spacing and margins and padding. I'm looking at, uh, yeah, the code and how it's all kind of working together. And moving quick, revenue-driven development, right? Yes. Yeah, all the things we've talked about. Yeah, what was that, a couple episodes ago? Yep. Of, yeah, moving very quick. But that was where most of my time was. And then the sl tiny slice, maybe 10% of the time outside that 
was like, oh, it's tax time. Let I, I think I was doing our taxes for the first couple of years. That's a big fucking mistake, by the don't way. Don't do that. Yeah, get an accountant early. I don't. Yeah, years later we'd get some back bills of like, yeah, you didn't do things right. But um, yeah, we did. You know, kind of our own bookkeeping back then. So that was like part of that tiny slice. Uh, I talked to customers when it came to understanding features better or um, understanding bugs better, but that was primarily your domain. And so, yeah, I would say 80 to 90% was, was uh, on the computer, coding, designing, um, also designing like collateral. So when we went to conferences, I would design the flyers that we give out. I designed the t-shirts that we wore, uh, maybe some of the banners and kind of yeah. conference swag. Um, very uninspired design. We had a simple logo and uh, some, some fonts. So I don't think any of those were, were masterpieces, but they took time, right? Yeah. And that was, I don't know. I felt like that was my role. Is there anything else that you remember I was doing back then? Gosh, uh, we would have small meetings on on pretty much, you know, the one employee, you know, then that first year, you know, second year maybe that we had um, legal bookkeeping, like, yeah, wearing all hats basically. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was like, those were probably single digit percentages compared to fix bugs, build features quickly. Yeah. How about you? What, what do you remember for your, from the first chapter? Um, Pre-launch content, writing content, talking to customers, uh, cold emailing, um, doing kind of like the SEO checkups for free for customers pre-launch. And then at post-launch, it was spending time on forums, our Facebook group mainly, and then customer support. So it was a lot of phone calls. Um, the topic maybe for next week will be like diving into the doing things that don't scale. Cause I feel like that's like the story of like almost up until now of, the, yeah. of what we did, which is multiple hour long phone calls in a one week on one guy who I was like, I don't know if he'll be around next week. He didn't seem, yeah. but we had to go through those reps. I think it's like all repetition for the next thing. Uh, and so lots of, we had email support until we got intercom. When did we get intercom? Gosh, was that like a few Probably months after launch? A couple years in. No, I would say it's a like, year in. Maybe yeah, maybe a year and a half in. So maybe okay. yeah, six to nine months after launch. Yeah. So customer support through basically email and then eventually chat support. Um, so that that was kind of a mission. I was also building websites for our customers early on. So that was kind of a, just a lot of the doing, like customer support and then sales calls and then building websites which we charged for and that was like a part of our package deal for, like yeah. in the beginning so and that's also when we had seo plans so you were probably running some doing some plans writing content, content for them keyword research kind yeah. of uh doing the agency side that we that kind of floated us for like the first year should have cut it after like that initial phase but it was something we we did it's kind of a hook it was like hey you don't need our SaaS, but like you need marketing right you need a website right so I think every industry is different with what resonates, what people are willing to pay for. Um, but yeah, not, happy to not be managing uh, anything agency related yeah. anymore. If you had to break down the percentages of time spent in each bucket, what would you say? I'd say 30 to 40 on sales, 30 to 40 on support. And then the rest kind of, uh, you know, it, it would be fluid. We'd get a rush of customers and then it'd be lots of uh, support. But then when that was down, it was like, okay, do these SEO plans. And then I would, I'd be like months behind on these plans. Like people were paying for them. And 
I would be in apology mode, like nonstop of like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I got to get to that. I have this list of like a million things to do, like every yeah. founder and entrepreneur. So it was biting off more than we could chew. And it was a lot of like hustle to deliver things to people. And you felt the same pressure on the dev side of just like, Oh, I know you've been dealing with that for weeks. I'm sorry. So, um, can we just say as a founder, there's always going to be a growing to-do list and not enough time to get to it. And that's normal. And I think you need to get used to that feeling of knowing, Hey, I'm not always going to knock everything out. I think the, um, some people get a lot of anxiety and stress from that. I think that just has to be the pool you swim in. How did you have the, I guess, wisdom or, cause you were kind of that calming influence for me of always just kind of being okay with not, doing everything in a day like you know it was just like the, the game of prioritization where does that come from from you because to <laughs> me that what you just said is like this can break people this, mm. this is where burnout comes from is that feeling of failing every day whereas yeah. like there were days where you're like okay yeah you had a good good 16 hour day like <laughs> gosh that's a good question because you remember before you made me start using trello i had about 400 post-it notes just <laughs> around the edges of all four of my monitors and that was my like Trello board. Yeah. And um, I would just move them along. And and I just always knew that like, there's no way I'm going to accomplish all of this. Not not even this year, mm -hmm. let alone today or this week or this mm -hmm. month. And so to me, it was like, and I think all of getting a startup off the ground is a game of prioritization. Yeah. That's probably all it is for the entire duration of the business. Game of prioritization. What's going to move the business the most? And for us, we knew that when we got another customer, that was progress. And as long as we are continuing to grow our customer base, one person at a time, sometimes, sometimes we built features for one guy, but we just had this hunch that like, if he needs it, other people will need it. And so this is a step in the right direction for our product with our five data points or whatever we had. The, that to me was all that mattered was like, does this help us grow the business? You don't, don't worry about all the things you can't get done. Just in life in general. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry about all the things you can't do. Worry about the things that you must do. And then worry about the things. If you get all those musts done, worry about the things that'll be great to do. The rest of the stuff, leave in the back burner. That's the life of a bootstrapper, right? It's just like what gets a few more dollars in the door. Yeah. What maybe wins over an influencer or two or someone in your yes. industry that tells others. And then for fuck the rest. Yeah. Like, cause VC backed, yeah, you can do everything because you can hire a hundred people. Right. Like you can't, you, <laughs> you can't hire anybody. You just got to do it. Um, okay. So that's phase one. Yeah. So what to was me, phase two with you? It started changing once we got a few employees, like the first okay. employee, second employee, you know, we had help on support, we had help on dev, but I was that, I guess that started the shift. Now year was, two, we yeah. hired starting in year two, I think. Yeah. And so that's began the shift of like, oh, we have to learn how to manage people now. But I think we, you know, like you said, we hired people that kind of thrived in chaos, didn't need a ton of direction. It was, and at that point there was tech debt. I had built some stuff quick and dirty that was very inefficient. And so, we hired a, a developer that I was like, hey, can you just rebuild some of this and make it like fast and efficient and put it into the proper data structures and do all the things that like, I just didn't have time to do. So that's a very easy thing to delegate, right? You just like make it look like this, but make the back end more performant. And so that still let me focus on building new features, talking to customers a little bit more than I used to, designing new features. Um, and so, yeah, that wasn't extremely different for me it was once we got to maybe like half dozen, you know, six, eight, 10 people. Mm -hmm. That's when it felt like a whole new phase where we're worried a lot about interviewing constantly. We're worried about 
how to structure comp for people. We're worried about, you know, just like there's more legal contracts that were coming up. And so then we were either reading them ourselves and trying to figure out what these meant or interfacing with lawyers who we didn't want to pay their hourly bills. We're trying to be as efficient as possible, trying to figure out what those meant for these emerging partnerships that we thought, hey, this could really affect our business one way or another. Let's make sure we get these right. Um, you know, we had growing expenses. And so then there's just a lot more business stuff. And so then I would say business stuff for me started getting towards like 20, 25% um, management issues. Just like, oh, well, I have to put together sprint boards now? Like just keep doing stuff, but then there's no <laughs> accountability, you know? Somebody took forever on something. I had no right to say, well, I didn't get done faster. Well, you never told me to. So we started making sprints and I tried to, and then there's so much time that goes into, okay, what's reasonable to put into a sprint for, our one developer and what's okay to put off till the next sprint. And then you're communicating with clients of like, oh, okay, well, I've put this into this sprint so you can expect it in a month and a half. And so then there's just so much more management. In my mind, I would say management bullshit, you know, cause it felt like not the real work, but it so is the real work. Yeah. And, um, and so that was that phase for me. It was like learning how to be a manager, coping with, I can only code 50% of the time right now. That feels like I'm doing the, product a disservice and yet that's what you need to do for the big picture of like how do we grow this to an organization how about you what does that, <laughs> does that seem oh, similar it stirs answer? up so much because phase two just look in hindsight just feels like a giant failure of every of like doing everything average or below average <laughs> so it was like the doing but still trying to manage and lead before you knew how to manage and lead so for me it was still doing support um certain hours of the day while teaching a couple other people kind of, I didn't even know what I was teaching. It was kind of, you know, the minds, it was so basic of just like, just do it like me, <laughs> which is like not directional at all. It doesn't help anybody at all. Um, and then not really give, giving people clear direction on, on their goals, like making other people's OKRs was like, oh shit, mm-hmm. I got like four or five people now and I'm just kind of throwing goals out there. Doesn't really they didn't get them done. I didn't really, there was no consequences. There was no accountability. We just knew that's what bigger companies Yeah. Did. You just hear make goals. Yeah. Do them, <laughs> and, you know, and like eventually you'll make your own goals. It'll be great. But it was, yeah, it was a whirlwind of um, doing sloppily, managing sloppily, um, a botched hire or two. We tried to have someone part-time or hourly that didn't work out. Um, we had a customer service person building websites, launching G suites, um, doing a little bit of sales, like there's the roles were just so messy and it was just like still very much uh, everybody just plug holes. Just- I, think, I think we had like <laughs> one job listing like multiple times called Startup Hustler. And we're just like, help everything. us with whatever the fuck we need because we don't even know what it's gonna entail because everything's changing so fast, we're growing so fast and we just need holes being plugged. <laughs> it was chaos, it was fun, it was stressful and we figured it out apparently well enough to get through the phase. <laughs> yeah. And there was people at that, again, going back to, there's people that had a skill in, in a certain area that we hired because we thought we just need someone to help to do this. Some of them haven't lasted because we realized, oh, they maybe weren't self-starters or they weren't passionate or they don't have self that self-improvement kind of a way about them. That's going to happen. And so it's a, it, I don't know, obviously we can't know then what we know now, but it, we thought we were slowing down with hiring, like hire slow, fire fast. I think we did the opposite. I think we hired fast and fired slow. It's hard to know when you're in the fishbowl. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, phase two was 
that messy middle, maybe. I don't know. Maybe we're still in the messy middle, maybe. Um, I hope so. I hope we have a lot more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anything else from that phase that jumps out in terms of uh, what you viewed your role as? Were we mentors at that time? Did it feel like we were kind of like talking about the future with people? I wish I did that more. You know, gosh, I don't know. It felt like we were wearing dad's clothes. You know, like we'd have these reviews where you'd take like five chats and just review them and be like, oh, you could have done this better. And they'd shake their head and be like, yeah, yeah. But that felt like inauthentic almost. Like we were trying to be managed when really we were all shoulder to shoulder, just like grinding out. And we just happened to be the guy signing the paychecks and right. hoping eventually we'd pay ourselves a little more than we were. Yeah. I think the feel of it though was like, um, yeah, just very much in still kind of survival mode. And, and it was surreal, almost not it felt still uh, uncertain. The future right. was uncertain. We didn't know that we were gonna quote, make it. And so a lot of it was still survival mode, do what needs to be done, overlook things, not thinking too much about like these people's career trajectories. And let's be real, like when you don't have a track record, when you don't know necessarily where you're gonna go as a company, you're just like, oh, we've like grown kind of quick in the first year and a half and we just need help. And then you can't afford to pay like great rates. Right. Sometimes you kind of take like, you know, whoever applies and you can like convey the, the excitement that you have for the business and where it can go. And some people see it and they're like, awesome, cool. I'll work for maybe a below market salary for the promise of like some equity and a mm -hmm. spot in this future organization. Um, and so, yeah, you, it's but then you get people maybe that don't necessarily have experience doing what you need them to do. We hired people that, that had no experience in other industries to do. We yeah. just like their personality and they were the best of that round. <laughs> and um, some of them have blossomed into amazing people that are doing stuff really well. Yep. And then, like you said, some didn't work out because as things shifted and it wasn't chaotic and we could scrutinize a little bit more, hey, is this the right person for a role? Sometimes the answer was no. Sometimes it's because we created a role that was dumb. <laughs> so it's a, it's an all a learning phase. I would, the only thing I would do different with uh, knowing what we know now is take even an hour a week or a month even to be more audacious with a goal that felt so inauthentic at the time. But it's hard to also do that when you, like you said, when the ground's shaky underneath you to act certain and like, oh, we have this future vision. We want to get to X amount of customers. It's hard to fight that imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So I get why it's hard to do. Oh. I get why we didn't do it. Cause we were like, we, we don't know if we're going to make it <laughs> at that point. Yeah. So. And I think a good portion of, I felt like my role was the narrative weaver of just like, telling people like, oh, like the biggest companies are looking at us now and these inspectors are saying all these great things. And I just keep reminding people of like this, the wins we've had so that they felt the optimism to keep pushing forward for more wins. Yeah. And sometimes it felt like I was cherry picking data because I was ignoring the complaints and the, <laughs> the feature requests that like people calling us idiots because we don't have X feature. <sighs> but that's, I guess, when that element of human building a human um, organization and it's a very, becomes a very emotional endeavor, a very psychological endeavor. That's when I started to feel inklings of that. Yeah. And um, because of my background as a counselor, I felt a little like home. Like, uh, you know, that, um, that stuff really started to appeal to me. Uh, and I don't know what percentage of it was bullshit versus authenticity. It's easy to look back now and be like, oh yeah, we totally knew it. We saw the light ahead. But at the time, I, there's definitely imposter syndrome. There's definitely make it up yeah. as we went. I think my metaphor was like, we were jumping off a cliff with a box of parts and trying to have an airplane by the time yep. we hit the ground. And that's, uh, I just, I, but I look back fondly on those times. Uh, do you? 
it was like you said, uh, it was surreal. It was a, it was a, uh, I felt like we were in the trenches together because we had a little kind of shoebox office and then we graduated to a little bigger of a shoebox because co-working spaces at the time were super inflated and the prices were ridiculous. So we had an eight person office with 10 people in it, maybe. Yeah. Shoulder to shoulder, yeah. smelling each other. Yeah. Like. <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. And, uh, and we were in there all damn day. Like, and, and so we did have that little bit of grind hustle kind of phase and, yeah, I, I look fondly on that of just figuring it out as we go because mm-hmm. the scoreboard kept inching higher. Yeah, you know the slow grind of of death or whatever, not death, the slow bleed up that SaaS companies <laughs> whatever, have. Yeah. So that was great. I, I love that phase. Um, and so now, take take us to your third phase now. So yeah. Like how you so see I guess it. this is more recent, like the last year and a half, two years maybe, where we had gotten so big as a company that like. I couldn't be as involved in development. Mm-hmm. I, at some point, kind of slid away from the desk and said, hey, I'm only going to code like low priority features, stuff that, you know, might involve billing or the stuff that I just kind of, I made some very convoluted <laughs> pieces of code that like maybe nobody else wants to get into for fear of busting our revenue pipeline. <laughs> and so, you know, that's when I started very much like delegating and being the manager, the quote boss, the guy that was just like, hey, here's what I think we should do. Here's a sprint outline. Y'all figure it out. I'm not going to get as into the weeds. And for a while, that's really hard because I kept getting sucked back into the weeds sometimes because I missed the weeds because that was like where I felt comfortable, where I felt like I was more productive. And sometimes because of whether it was a real or perceived um, lack of ability with the person that I was delegating to, Mm -hmm. I think I was kind of bad in terms of initially not um, helping people build their own confidence and letting them take a few stumbles, being there to catch them and lift them back up. I would, as soon as they stumbled, I'd be like, give me that back. Give me that. Yeah. And um, yep. that was me learning how to, to manage a little bit better. Um, so yeah, the, the shift became a lot more like we were talking about building a human organization rooted in people's emotions and psychology, spending a lot more time just in meetings. I, I would joke that like now six out of nine, 10 hours a day, just meetings, just talking. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's with the intentions of building a relationship, empowering somebody, um, figuring out like a decision, like walking through mental models, why are, what's the data? How are we making this decision? Is it the best decision? And so some of that's just like brainstorming out loud with people, but then they're the ones like implementing or executing it. Um, And then kind of more external stuff like business development, partnerships, how we um, are growing kind of our bottom line, removed from number of customers, but like revenue per customer, stuff like that. Yeah. So that to me is this kind of more recent phase where now I get what like CEOs actually do. I think this is when I changed our title on the website instead of just like founder slash product and slash engineer to like co-CEOs, because now I feel like we're actually doing the work that CEOs do. And I actually understand what that means now, instead of just thinking of a guy in a suit with his legs up on the desk and watching money roll in. Like it's super hard. It's way more emotionally taxing than the um, earlier phases. And it's way more rewarding, I think, because we get to see our team members blossom, get a feeling of like, I'm contributing to something that's awesome and growing. Oh, yeah, that's that's my perspective. I don't know how about yeah. you. Is that is that is your journey parallel to that, or do you have any differences? No, it is. It, it really is because I think we stay so connected, and I think we have different our sides of the house that have matured at similar rates, and so it's kind of just been great because 
I can't imagine what it would be like in companies where certain de departments are so ahead of others or mature or have, don't have leaders. Um, but it's funny you say that because like the term CEO, I feel like when we're still doing all the doing, I just feel like a douche saying it, it or like, I, you know, yeah. like I'm, you think of the, you put in your bios and you're just like, I'm not a CEO. <laughs> right. Like I just do, you know, I just answer customer support and like do some sales calls or whatever. But lately I'm starting to feel like that represents what we do because we're building up others. And so I think it's, it's so fun going through this kind of a, you said metamorphosis of maturing and growing to where you're building other people up because real, the realization that in order to find other growth avenues and to keep a bootstrapped company growing, who's going to go do that if we're still answering, you know, the single customer that pays $99 a month is complaining about a feature. I'm on support. You're building the feature. How can you ever grow from there? And I think, I think there's no substitute for time spent. I think that's to me this last year, I've had more kind of ongoing one-on-ones, multiple ones in a week with key members on our team, with leaders on our team of just talking, mm -hmm. just like telling them how I think about things and asking them how they think about things and, and then turning questions around. They're like, Hey, should we do this? I don't know. Should we? Yeah. I don't know. I, half the times I'm literally like, I don't know the answer to that. Can you tell me? Um, and that forces that muscle in leaders. And then the more we can free up our schedule, the more we can think about how to grow the business or find the next vertical or whatever. So it's a big unlocking. And I think uh, tech, I, I want to hear your perspective for technical founders, because I see a technical founder on Twitter literally every other day that I can tell is deep in the weeds and can't get out. And just like, you know, you're, you're fortunate, I think, to have the skills and the different sides of the brain to be able to be like, oh, no, I want to go talk to people. I want right. to go build the business. But that comfort zone, right? It goes back to comfort zone of a dev. I guess it does. And, you know, maybe similar to what we talked about in the first few episodes, I, I never viewed myself as like an engineer mm -hmm. or even a designer. I was like a business guy that learned how to code, that learned how to design so I can build businesses. And that to me is the biggest distinction because this just feels like the next thing that I need to do and get good at. And, um, and I would encourage any founder out there to not view yourself in terms of some task or True. something that you're good at. True. You're going to have to evolve. You're going to change your skill set, and um, or you're going to need to hire. And some some founders end up hiring CEOs because they want to stay in the technical role. Fair I point. think that's okay too. I know that I get most alive by doing a little bit of everything, but especially by being the I don't know, just like the bird's eye view, working directly with people seeing them grow and feel empowered. That's like the counseling background mm -hmm. injected into this. It's like all the things I want counseling to feel like, but I get more direct control. You know, like in counseling, you'd see somebody every single week, maybe nothing changes and you can't do anything about it other than listen and reflect back <laughs> and ask deepening questions. Whereas now we can say, no, nah, you, you got to start. Do, you got to do this. this. You yeah. got to do this. And so it's like the best of all worlds. Um, yeah, I'd be curious how many founders feel like that's also a calling for them to work in that very messy, but very rewarding emotional landscape versus wanting to stick to the code or whatever it is. Um, I have a question for you. I remember it's probably like a year, year and a half ago, I told my wife, Leah, like, damn, Kevin is really stepping into his power and feeling like such a leader lately. What did you do to make that shift happen um, how did it feel like for you? 
like faking it till I made it and I still am faking it. But read, I think I started reading more. I started listening to more audiobooks. I think that was the phase where um, I was questioning myself so much as like a leader. Like I was saying things that felt awkward. I was just like, is everyone rolling their eyes, you know, on these Zoom calls where you see people like looking down or just like, it's like, fuck, I can't captivate an audience. I can't lead people. Um, and so I listened to like the, you are a badass book that my wife was listening to at the time. Um, I listened to some like Grant Cardone stuff. I was listening to the messy middle leadership, you know, um, extreme ownership books that other smart people recommended. Basically, whenever someone smart recommends a book, I write it down. I'm like, all right, build up some audible credits and buy it. <laughs> um, and so I think just hearing some of those concepts and realizing that you kind of just have to be authentic and step into this stuff feeling like you don't know what the hell you're doing um and kind of like get real with yourself of like the vision and what you're putting in and the example you're setting and just like looking in the mirror more as opposed to hey we pay you do your job and kind of you said earlier of like that's such a basic way of thinking of it and that's why people hate bosses it's because they're like you make 40k a year you should really be great at it's like (laughs) no like what are you appealing to that's deeper and then are you continuing to set that example so i you know, they were saying like the smartest people in the world, CEOs read 50 books a year or whatever. I was like, I don't read that much, but I want, I, I'm trying to keep a steady diet of audible and good content rather than mindlessly scrolling on Twitter or Instagram or watching a TV show or whatever. So just trying to listen to smart people before me and I'm trying to connect with more founders too. And so it's like, it's kind of like leveling yourself up by like what your diet is and who you're around maybe was I was trying to pay more attention to that. Like, luckily we're around each other all the time. So that's mm-hmm. like, you know, they say you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So it's, I was trying to, since I don't have like after with COVID, I didn't have like friends for, for a year. <laughs> I still, still feel like I'm lacking that area, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's really just trying on those hats and yeah. like learning to like craft a vision but I want, thank you for asking. I want to hear, I want to hear your perspective on this too. Empowering a leadership team. It just feels more fun to win with a team. Like that whole concept of like these founders, a lot of them are like, Oh yeah, I can have a great business just by myself. And I'll run it lean bare bones and make hundred grand a year. That's great. And like, for some people, that's the right answer. But like to me growing a bigger pie and sharing it with like 10, 20, 30, 40 people, I, I get more out of that being a team guy, just like winning as a team. Me too. I know like I come in kind of slightly extroverted on the scale. So there's definitely like personality factors that play into this, but yeah, I always felt sorry for like solo founders, to be honest. Like yeah. it's just, what do you, what do you celebrate with Like, yeah, maybe you have a supportive spouse, but like, I, I don't know us being able to do this together. Most rewarding thing ever. Yeah. And then being able to say like, to, to the next level of folks, you know, Hey, I want you to be a millionaire too. I want to empower you. And I want to know about your career goals. I want to know and help you achieve your goals. Let's chart a course to do that. Here's what has to happen in the business for this to happen for you. Like, here's how we can align incentives, whatever it is. That is so rewarding and fun. I think it tapped into something intrinsic in people. Like we're a tribal animal. Yeah. And so I feel like it, um, if you're disregarding that, this might be a controversial statement, but you're disregarding a fundamental part of human psychology. <laughs> I think that you cannot and should not yeah. disregard that. Uh, I think all good organizations pay some sort of attention to that in their structure and incentivizations and everything else. 
and allowing yourself to care for your teammates. Right. Like that's a, a weird concept that I, we've crossed some kind of a kind of benchmark, not benchmark, um, threshold. threshold of that where this past year I found myself really caring about these mm -hmm. leaders and teammates, like, like, and have really having empathy for their lives and wanting to see them succeed. And that's different than I pay you, do your job, right. grow the company, you know? Yeah. And so I think that people shield themselves from that. Cause I think, yeah. don't, don't you agree? It's kind of the old school mentality. It's like it works separate, life separate. You don't bring emotions into work, blah, blah, blah. Right. So. Yeah. I love feeling like a deep sense of caring and obligation to people that choose to join our team of like, yeah, you put trust in us to like navigate this ship through these crazy turbulent waters. And so I, I'm going to help you get to where <laughs> you want to go. Yeah. And that, that feels great. It keeps me invigorated for the business in a way that just checking the accounts don't do, you know, right. like I think there's like a hierarchy of needs thing where like, yeah, at first we're just checking the bank accounts and saying, are we going to, can we solve the money problem? Are we going to make it? <laughs> are we going to be okay? Is this, you know, if this blows up, are we going to have enough to recover given our age and where we're at in life and family obligations and all that? As you ascend up the higher levels, I really believe that it's doing stuff together, doing stuff that you know is like good. Like I, I genuinely feel like our product adds value because people time back in their day that they spend with their family members that they can, you know, achieve their dreams more. And that's a really cool thing to feel about what we do every day. Yeah. And to do it in a way where our team members also feel that, that intrinsic reward. Like you need both intrinsic and extrinsic. And um, so, yeah, it's just a really fun and rewarding challenge. Yeah, love this phase. I what what do you think phase four is? That's a great question. That's some, a great question. Some some say at this phase, um, CEOs become full time recruiters, where it's just mm -hmm. like your job is to create. That's the thing. I don't know what this looks like in terms of like putting ourselves out there more, meeting the people that know the people that we end up hiring or right. bringing on the team. We'll see. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where it goes, because I don't think I could have predicted future phases at any point in the past. <laughs> um, but yeah, the hope is we continue to build the human organization, we continue to empower people and sell a vision. We have um, big plans, you know, to, to approach like adjacent verticals, kind of grow our footprint and um, maybe even move to be a household name in, in some adjacent spaces. Yep. And so I think a lot of doing that is continue to invest in people. Yeah invest in people, never stop learning ourselves. I think that's, I think us even having any time in our week, you said this the other day of like, oh, just being able to listen to a podcast again for self-development and growth. I've felt the difference of yeah. supercharging our organization every time you uh, get to spend creative time thinking of strategy and vision, these yeah. nebulous things, Right. you're great at it. So I think like any devs that get caught in the code spent, you, you have, it's so hard to pull yourself out of something that doesn't seem like it makes money but it makes a lot, it makes a shit ton of money yeah. when you inspire people, when you spread the vision of what you've listened to or learned or read. Um, so how does that feel being able to like step back even at all? It's, it's amazing. I remember when I used to be tied to intercom dings or slack dings and just be always on call. That's a difficult place to think big picture from. It's <laughs> yeah. impossible. I it's think. impossible. <laughs> you are just going to be, you're reactive. You're going from one thing to the next. I think the nature of our business, we and because we highly value our support, somebody on our team needs to be in that reactive mode to always feel customer requests as they come in, solve bugs quickly. It's nice that it no longer has to be us. Yep. That allows us to think big picture and chart the course. It's kind of like 
uh, you know, I think of whitewater rafting, how like the guide is the one in back standing up and looking around and maybe like with a rudder, whereas the people that are all rowing, they're just doing what they're told and knowing the guide is going to get them where they need to go without capsizing, without wrapping the boat around a rock and everybody's <laughs> in the water, right? I like that. And so we need to keep our heads up and we can't do that if we're down low and rowing and not looking ahead and not looking down river. Right. And so it feels amazing. It's something that I'm continuing to make more time for. Um, feels new and different to get up and like listen to a podcast in my hammock and say, oh no, I'm working, trust me. <laughs> but that's some of the most powerful stuff we can do now is yes. take in a lot of info, info and then mesh it with like our culture, our unique business and turn something into something even more valuable. It's cool, it's fun. I, I look forward to doing it more, but we'll see how, how it all unfolds. <laughs> That's well said. I think that's a great place to, to stop. I like it. All this right. is fun. All right. That's good stuff. That's the episode. See y'all next week.